This is Seabird with John Hurley and Mike McDowell. Welcome to Seabird. I'm John Hurley talking today with John Martins. John, thank you for joining us. You're in New Zealand right now, by the way, correct? That's correct. In the South, uh, in the South Island at the moment. Yep. Uh, well, I would say it sounds lovely, but uh, the weather here is lovely, which means the weather there is chilly. So as, as much as I would aspire to get to your country at some point, and I do mean that, right now I'm kind of enjoying being in a t-shirt. Um, thank you yeah, for no, we had we had a great summer here so uh <laughs> yeah the envy the envy is on your end at the moment <laughs> yeah i get it um you're known for a lot of things you came into my world simply because we have a friend in common which would be my friend ben i think you met ben in saint martin um doesn't really matter you you've done some sailing and you've done some long haul sailing and you've gotten some fame, notoriety, whatever the word would be for having done some different things. Um, but let me ask you this. I think that the sail that you're most well known for uh, started in England, went southwest across the Atlantic and the Caribbean through Panama and across the Pacific. And this is the one that got you all the press and all the headlines but uh not not necessarily uh that there was there was another one that that was in uh well i i don't really think that i'm i'm famous by, by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> well, you got headlines you might not be I famous and and uh, philosophically i actually find that um if a person ever uh if, if a person ever wants to keep um, uh, creating things and they want to be creative they actually have to avoid the limelight as much as they as they possibly can because all of a sudden they have to go on a uh, uh, in defensive mode in regards to everything that they produce. So, um, but no, uh, the um, uh, I crossed the uh, I crossed the Pacific in 2014 and I did that alone and and it, a lot of people actually think that I did it because I was after some recognition or 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 uh, status or whatever you, you want to conceive it mm -hmm. but it was it was actually out of pure necessity i was it was a i was attempting to make a documentary in regards to uh, 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 waste and if you have you ever sailed into panama uh, i have or, not i've sailed the caribbean uh, but i have not sailed panama um, i remember I've the first sailed time into i sailed haiti if you want to talk about sailing through floating trash. Yeah, okay, so you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, I, I remember the first time I sailed into Panama, and it was 100 miles offshore. It was already, the, there, was no, there wasn't one point during that passage that I, I would not look around, uh, and I couldn't see, a, you know, I, I could definitely pick out a piece of floating plastic. Mm -hmm. So when I got back to New Zealand, I... Um, I, uh, something was just tick, you know, ticking in my head and I figured out, you know what, uh, I'm still young and, and I have some money in the bank at the moment, so I, I, should, I should do something about it. But, um, but the project I did, it was, it was it, nothing went the way I wanted. And, <laughs> and it was kind of like starting <laughs> a recording for a podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to interrupt this just to explain in, in yeah. 10 seconds or less. It just took us 45 minutes to start recording because something on my end keeps screwing up. And unfortunately, I don't have an IT department to call and say, can you please come <laughs> in my office and tell me why I can't hear John from New Zealand? But we got through it and everyone's still smiling ostensibly. Well, I, I want to talk to you about the purpose of that sale, but I want to start somewhere else i want to start with what what long haul offshore passage gave you the most sailing gratification every single one of them um uh, because uh, it's um I, I i see that there's a 
there are different types of sailors in regards to their generations because when i when i started sailing i didn't have any i it was just books so you'd have you'd really have to use your imagination in regards to what what the sea is going to be like and once you put yourself out there um i don't know if you read on my uh, uh i i used to be a skydiver so mm -hmm. i see sailing much like skydiving because you're at the door of the airplane and you look outside and you think to yourself, I've done all the checks that were necessary and I'm confident with the parachute and I'm confident with the uh, with the packing that I've done. And and you just plunge into belief. And that's mm -hmm. what sailors do as well. They look in they look up to the horizon and they 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 think, Well, I took care of my boat and I prepared it, I loaded it up with enough food and I'm I'm ready for it. So then you just you just venture into it, but you of course, no. Yeah, yeah, and you think you're gonna, you're going to, uh, you know, you're gonna. If if you don't set out to the ocean thinking that you're not gonna get to the other end, then I think you're into uh, you're setting yourself to a lot of trouble. Hmm. But because every every passage, there's something, something weird is gonna happen, and 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 it's your resilience that's gonna get you to the other, to the other end. And every time you get to the other end is um, is it's very gratifying. I, I define the word gratefulness um, as a, a dichotomy between a desired state and an undesired state. And once you go out there, the chances that you're going to be very uncomfortable, it's, it's pretty high. And, <laughs> yes. And, but it is this, it is this uh, benchmark that you do with being uncomfortable and comfortable that really makes grat gratitude um, uh, real for a person something that they will remember and i have a few episodes that uh that this becomes very uh, uh very apparent to me in, uh, in my daily life like i cannot i cannot have a cup of water of tasteless water hmm. without being absolutely grateful from uh having been 36 days with a uh, water tank filled with you know tainted water and sure what do you do and and what did you do? Uh, vinegar. I even tried enemas. <laughs> <laughs> but what what, hap um, what, what happened? Uh, uh, just to hone in on that specific, what happened? What what trip was this? And did your water uh, supply actually go bad in the tank? Uh, no, the water. Uh, I, the water that I collected. Uh, the way I did it was. Um, I'm a bit of. Um, I'm a bit of a camel when it comes to water and and um uh, so what happened was before any departure this was this was on the uh, I, I separate things in uh, projects so this journey you're talking about is the project little minks which is the boat that i got from england to new zealand mm -hmm. okay and and it was departing panama i was setting myself up so there's a little uh, place there in balboa which you uh and it's the only place where you can actually dock and fill up your water tanks. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what happened, but the water that from the from the dock was was somewhat. Um, I, I really don't know what was wrong with it, but uh, it was. Uh, did, did it the, make the you sick? I, oh yeah, it make, it makes you want to vomit like almost immediately. Oh yeah. Uh, and but there was there was this very pungent taste of. Um, of uh tires but as if they were burning uh, okay uh, and uh but yeah i uh and but the catch was before i topped up my water tanks i have my water bottles that i fill up mm -hmm. because i get terribly seasick so I, I i put my bottles in the cockpit and i try i avoid like the play going down below for the first three or four days okay i understand so I that my, i have <laughs> and so I had my bottles filled up and I'm in the cockpit and, I, and I'm okay without eating for a couple of days as well. I'm, it's not a problem. <laughs> so Not me, but anyway, <laughs> but, but this is not my story. Um, go ahead. Yeah, and, um, and uh, yeah, so a couple of days go by and then I, I went down below to uh, fill up my water bottles and then the first swig of, of water I took, I, I almost barfed right there in, in, the, in the cockpit. And I'm like, what's going on? And yeah, and by then, 
I could have returned and figured out more water, but then I was already uh, the little bay in Panama is uh, it's a it's before you get to the Galapagos, it's a bit of a it's a bit of hard work if you're in, uh, not at the right time. And I was very very late in the season. This was in September. So you're basically doing a beat all the way up to the Galapagos before you actually get to the uh, to the trade winds. Right. So so my decision was, well, I can turn around and it'll probably take me another four, maybe five days to get back to Balboa. Or I can just toughen up and and head down to uh, Tahiti, which was the, you know, the closest port I knew where I could get clear water. And that would be another three or four weeks. Right. So I. I said, well, I, I came this far. What can I do? And, you know, it was just like us figuring out uh, the computer stuff. Uh, what, what can we do at this point? Right. So I tried, I tried vinegar. I tried uh, some spices. I, and then, you know, because I'm a paraplegic, I have plenty of catheters aboard. Right. Like, well, you know, I could, try a, I could try the anima. I've read plenty of this before. You know, they just put water up their bums and, mm-hmm. and then you're good to go. But that, that didn't work too well. <laughs> so I just... Uh, <laughs> So I just I just made a concoction of vinegar and and spices in that I would I would put it down and it would stay. And okay, hold on. Wait, I'm I'm hitting the pause button. There's there's so much richness in this first ten minutes. I I got to sift through a few things. I've, okay. I I haven't done what you've done. I've been offshore a fair amount. You're telling me, if I'm hearing you correctly, that you're prone to seasickness, which is fine. I actually know a fair number of sailors who are prone to seasickness, but but so far, I have this right. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And be, because it, of this propensity, and every time, every time, like clockwork, you get yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. because of this, anyone who's ever been on a boat knows that uh, being in the cockpit of a boat is kind of like being in the front seat of a car for someone who gets car sick. You've got the vision, you've got the horizon, you've got more fresh air, and it's just a much more pleasant place to be. So your version of this is that you literally camp out in the cockpit for the first, say, two or three days, perhaps not ever even going below decks at all to avoid the seasickness that will come from losing the horizon in the air. That's correct. This is the most fascinating thing I've ever heard. Three days worth of water. What kind of boat was this that you were on at that time? Uh, that was a, uh, uh, a Hans, uh, Hansi, or whichever way you want to spell it, uh, mm-hmm. a Hans 400, which is a, uh, des- I don't know if you know which design is. Okay. Uh, uh, um, and, and how much sun protection do you have in the cockpit do you have a, a bimney that can stay up when your main is deployed or on on that boat on that boat i did have a a, a dodger but um i'm i'm against dodgers bimneys i'm against everything that makes the boat uh i'm against the, um i really like to sail um, mm-hmm. efficiently mm-hmm. so uh anything that will change the uh the motion of the boat i uh, yeah i don't i don't like uh, anything that will increase your uh, uh, weather helm uh, I, I, I want the I apologize that that laugh was just because I I'm notoriously bad at taking notes during interviews and there are probably <laughs> 30 questions tumbling around in my head like rocks in a clothes dryer right now that I'm trying to figure out when I can open the door and pluck one out. This is fantastic. Okay, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you and pause again. So we've got you in the cockpit. Your, your anti will discuss this, Dodgers, Bimini's, and things like that, that that impact perhaps how your boat interacts with the weather, especially if that weather is astern of midships on your boat. I get that. Um, mm-hmm. You will stay in the cockpit two days, three days until you reach a point where you decide, okay, I'm synchronous with the with the motion of the ocean at this point. I think I'm going to be okay if I go below. Do you just reach a point where you go, I can't find any more peanuts to eat. I got to go down and make a sandwich or I'm going to die. Or, or what it, what's, what's the demarcation where you go, okay, it's, it's time to go through the companionway and down into the bowels of the boat uh it's uh, 
I think it, I, I think what you said is right. It's uh, it's hunger. Uh, there's a point that you're like, you know what? It's time to eat. And then you go down below and you're going to fetch something to, um, to. And then you're like, oh, OK, it's not too bad. And then you <laughs> make, your, make your first meal and, and then and, it's all good afterwards. And then you're in the rhythm. I, um, you know, my friend Ben, perhaps not well. We recently did a delivery. I, I don't like to inject my stories into podcasts, but I think it's relevant. Um, we recently did a, uh, a delivery of a 44-foot catamaran. I don't have a lot of catamaran sailing experience. Um, mm -hmm. And this show always has an unfortunate tendency to devolve into catamaran bashing, which is not what I intend to do because I am the biggest live and let live hippie. I don't care what you sail. I really don't. And if you're happy in a catamaran, I'm happy for you. And I hope we can share an anchorage and get along just fine. Usually getting along just fine for me means I'm not close to anybody. And if I'm close to anybody, they probably look derelict like I do. That aside, the motion of that catamaran was so completely different than how a mono hole slices through the ocean that my friend Ben, who has many tens of thousands of offshore miles, um, and I, and I've got my own fair number, um, both got as close as we have ever gotten to get. We both dry heaved our first night out of Guatemala on that boat a year or so ago, just because the motion was so dramatically different. And my, my empathy for people who are inclined to be seasick grew astronomically with that experience because I've almost gotten sick from nerves before, which used to happen every time I went out an inlet, literally every time I went out in the ocean, I would just get myself all amped up because I was inexperienced and very worried about doing things wrong. But the seasickness thing um, is, is rough. And I, I admire your ability to camp out in the cockpit for that long i i've got a comfortable spot in mind but i couldn't make it several hell i can't go three hours without eating <laughs> um it's um uh, touching up on on what you said you know regards to uh you don't care about anybody on any boat i um i i tend to agree with that but um it is on a different sense because i i see today that I think is a trend that probably started in the 80s from from what I can read is most people want to get on boats because they want to do a, an amazing magical journey perhaps around the world hmm. and then they want to set and then they will come to land and they want to find the the farthest mountain from the sea as they can as they can get from and and never and never uh, never again actually set set foot on a boat and and do such thing so and I I personally don't mind if they're on a catamaran as long as as long as they're like look this is our catamaran and we're gonna live on it for for as long as the boat lasts or as long as we live or if, if we move a boat I feel that there is um, perhaps a bit of a tangent here but uh, oh I'm the king of tangents let it fly <laughs> well and it's there's no the the people who want to live at sea and continue with the philosophy of living at sea is is kind of disappearing i'm a bit a bit bearish on sailing at the moment because because of this because of all the sailing i did in the past decade uh everybody that was sailing around the world uh are no longer sailing they mm -hmm. they took they took to land and they carried on with their lives and i everybody does whatever they want with their lives but um i'm sad that there are no more people who absolutely become fascinated with the life at sea and and just continue on living this uh, life unbiased of all of these distractions because to be on land for me is, is a huge distraction i can't think straight it's it, it's one thing from the other uh, after another and and when, when you're out there in the ocean without internet and and it's when you're really allowed to contemplate who you really are and sure. and you're presence in the universe there are moments at sea that i, I think create uh, a, 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 a litany of conditions that cannot be recreated on land no matter 
no matter how minimalistic you are, um, I'd love to claim I am. Meanwhile, I've got a digital recording device, a microphone, a laptop, a phone, and an iPad all in front of me under electric lights. So um, I guess my minimalism is quite a bit of a failure. But yeah, it's it's very true that there are moments on a boat that, that can't be recreated. But uh, whether or not you're right about uh, the disappearance of that sort of of sailor, I, I don't know, might, might anecdotally be true, um, but I meet so many young kids out there who are sailing. I think if you were to check in on a thousand young, innocent souls that want to wander the earth on a sailboat and, and check back 10 years later, if three or four or 10 out of that thousand are still doing it and have adopted it as a long-term lifestyle, uh, I, I think you'd be lucky. I don't know if that's changed over time or not. There are a lot more people now who start because your access to starting is a lot easier than it used to be. You don't have to learn how to, how to use a sextant. Um, navigating is looking at a device that shows you in full color where you are and how much water you're in and what's ahead and who's around you. So I think the starting is easier and perhaps has attracted a, a, an exponentially larger number of people to start, which means more people will fail. Um, whether or not it's true that that bottom line number of people who adopt it as a, a long-term lifestyle, I don't know. So why are you on land? Oh, it was mostly because of the, the COVID thing. Um, uh, I have to be, I have to be careful with what I say, but, okay. um, um so when that sounds in intriguing why do you have to be careful <laughs> or you can't tell me why you have to be careful well it's uh if you if you've got a good game going you might as well you know uh keep it to yourself i don't i don't need to <laughs> brag about anything that i do okay but uh I'll let's, let it go. let's say that uh, uh <laughs> no no it's uh uh well you know uh sailing is uh it's the I saw a meme the other day is sailing is the most expensive way to get anywhere for free. And, and you know, you have to make some money to, to continue mm -hmm. on living this life. Correct. And what, what I had been doing for the, for the past 10 years or so is like, for instance, the, the project little minx, I went to Europe and I bought her for, uh, from, from an economist nonetheless. And it was right around when uh, Brexit took place and, mm -hmm. and, the guy was very smart and he was like, I need to get rid of this boat because it's just, it's going to be eating me up and I'm not going to get any money for it in the next year or two. And I need to get rid of it. So I, I bought it for very cheap. And, and then I bring it to New Zealand where there are no more uh, uh, boats being uh, manufactured mm -hmm. uh, as in production boats. And, and I sell it for a, for a slight profit. And, and it's nothing astronomical. It's just enough to maintain uh, the lifestyle. So sure. From from ten years from ten years ago to now, I, I haven't really, I haven't really uh, uh, banked on. Uh, I haven't really made an improvement in my uh, financial financial life. But it's maintaining my life, and that's 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 the. Uh, I'm I'm not. My focus is not uh, getting ahead in, in finances. Yeah. My, my 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 focus is getting ahead in philosophy. Uh, I and am I am lockstep with you, my friend. Yeah, because it's. All it takes is observing everybody around you. And but it, uh, in the reason why I'm on land. So December came along of 2019 and I was reading. I'm fairly savvy with the with the news that come around. And I um, I wasn't I wasn't too happy about the um, the, what, the what they were talking about in China. And and I figure I had already been waiting for two years to uh, to go back to Europe to buy, to buy another boat, but our dollar was way down in the dumps. And for me to buy a boat over there and bring it here, I would, I would actually take a loss. So mm -hmm. I had been sit sitting on my hands waiting for it. And, and I put, I, in December, I started looking for a house to put my money in because I, I figured there was going to be some sort of like government problems ahead. And yeah, I bought the house and it's been sitting here for, for a year and, and, and then I figured this winter, you know what, instead of, I got a house just sitting there closed. Why don't, why don't I don't, uh, become a bit productive with my, uh, literary end and, and just, uh, go back on land and, and, and spend a comfortable, comfortable winter in a house. So with you're, the, uh, with the you're, heat. you're at your, uh, 
your New Zealand Walden Pond house. Um, preparing for the winter in your home? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. How? What, yeah. what, what sort of circumstance is your home in? Are you in a suburban neighborhood? Or is it rural? Is it in the mountains? Is it in a town? It's in a, it's, it's in a valley, and, but it's just, just outside of town. And it's in a little uh, settlement called uh, Oamaru, and that's how they spell it here. It's mm -hmm. uh, I think it's world renowned for being the capital of uh, the world capital of steampunk, and it's a very quirky. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, it, I was not expecting it, it, that. Yeah, it's a very quirky little town, and it's a uh, somewhat. Uh, if you've ever been to Bath in England, it's uh, it still has that Roman. Uh, uh, architecture to it because it's a lot of the buildings are built with uh, limestone. Mm -hmm. uh, Omer is a very um, uh, there's plenty of it around, and I, I it's a little gem hidden in New Zealand because most people don't come here because there's not really a whole lot of uh, exciting attractions <laughs> in the sense of extreme. Yeah. However, it has a, a majestic little harbor with and there's no there are no marinas. It's just uh, swing moorings and if uh, if a sailor is sailing up the coast and it's in, in deep trouble and they, they want to find a refuge, this is a perfect little place to, uh, to hide good, in. A good hiding hole. Um, do, you currently oh, own yeah. a, do you currently own a boat? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, uh, the boat's up in... Uh, I spent the whole summer in, uh, in, the, in the Bay of Islands. And yeah, no, my life is on the boat. This is, this is the first time for me in, I think, in over 10 years that I came, came ashore. I not only have a boat here, but I have a boat in Sweden. Uh, for the like i like i said uh but it's uh when i say a boat uh most i am um i am a bit of a minimalist and the boat i have here is a 28 footer and in sweden as well it's they're almost like carbon copy of each other what it's what, just what kind are they the one in new zealand is a davidson 28 mm -hmm. which is uh the design if i have to uh verbalize it in design form it's from 73 but it's not an ior uh, the designer was uh, uh was free to uh design whatever he wanted in regards to that uh to that boat so he made it quite full left and she's somewhat full up up forward so she has plenty of volume inside and it's not as voluminous as the modern boats but uh compared to the boats made up until the 90s it's uh it's it definitely sticks out for for somebody who wants to live aboard and that was a new but zealand built boat wasn't it that's correct it was yeah. built and designed in new zealand mm -hmm. the designer was the same designer that was part of the uh, the america's cup in 95 the okay. uh, black magic so he was one of the designers that uh, made uh, black magic so he's fairly renowned in new zealand as a as a designer and the uh, one in and the one in Sweden is just um, a uh, Maxi Phoenix, which is uh, designed by Pell Patterson. Okay. If there are any uh, Swedes uh, listening to this? <laughs> uh, we got we got yeah. people everywhere listening. Okay, listen, I've run long. We're going to cut away for a quick second and take a break. You're listening to Seabird. We're talking today with John Martins, who's joined us from New Zealand, and we will be right back. Seabird will continue after this short break. You're listening to Seabird, stories from remarkable people. And now, here are your hosts, John Herlig and Mike McDowell. Welcome back to Seabird. I'm John Hurley. We're talking today with John Martins. Um, okay, we've covered a lot of stuff. Let's let's talk through. Let's talk through your life on the boat, um, on a solo passage. Even a, a let, let's talk about a boring solo passage. Panama to New Zealand, one that you got a bit of press for doing. Um, talk me through a typical day on your boat. Uh, out at sea when you're on a long passage. Okay, uh, well, there are there are two um, uh, epochs in my uh, in my sailing, 
and that was pre AIS and post AIS. So uh, post AIS, which I I honestly would not sail without these days. Uh, uh, it's uh, you can just go down below and and I have you know I take as as long as the weather is okay, I am quite confident of going down below and sleeping as long as I as I need. Mm-hmm. But but before AIS, it was it was. Uh, it was it was interesting uh, at times at times i'm i i have to go down below and i have to sleep because uh, my my philosophy when i'm sailing is i must be a hundred percent of the time all of the time and if i start using my energies uh, w- w- i am quite conscious of how much energy i can spend so uh, at any moment that i can rest i will rest Sure. So going going down below for a sleep. I, I often sleep in the um, as soon as you go down the companion way, I just get some squabs and put it on the floor and I sleep right there. It's the best motion place in the boat anyway. Yeah. And so let, can I jump in there real quick? Um, yes, you please. are not kidding about that being the best motion place you are you're you're right is that the fulcrum you're you're at the center point of pitch roll and yaw in all directions you are going to move the least feel the least and usually if you're on the cabin sole down below at the bottom of the companion way there's not very far to roll which means you're kind of tucked in if you get in there with some blankets and pillows you're you're living like a king that's correct. And for me also, it's uh, strategic because, well, I'm a paraplegic. So it's uh, if I was going into any of the bunks or any of the uh, cabins, if the boat has one, then I am adding I'm adding another um, layer of, of difficulties to get to uh, to the cockpit. And mm-hmm. it already it already takes me a little while to get to the cockpit. So being right there is it's, it's very uh, strategic. And let's be honest, if you're a single hander, what else do you really need other than being close to the galley and 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 to a bucket or the loo or whatever um, mm-hmm. is that you used to do your uh, your own thing? And but I, w- I wouldn't say there is a predefined, I'd say a normal day in the in the trade winds. That's probably more consistent. Sure. Is is I go to sleep around maybe one or two a.m. And then and then I sleep until till sunrise, and and then uh, make myself uh, something hot to drink, and and then I stay in the cockpit for a while, do some meditation, and reading is of course I've I've become very uh, fond of these electronic uh, Kindles mm-hmm. and tablets because it, that saves probably a hundred kilos worth of books on the boat. (laughs) I was, I was so resistant. And then I got a girlfriend and she set foot on my boat. And the first words out of her mouth were, you have too many fucking books. And I said, how can there be such a thing as too many books? And she said, well, it's kind of limited space. Maybe you should get a Kindle. And I said, I hate Kindle. I have a Kindle now. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many books I read between Grenada and Florida on that, that, 11 12 day trip we did because they were just all on the kindle i only had to pack one thing um and it doesn't give you the gratification of dog earing a page and i always have a few books with me but you are dead on right um and i know i interrupted your your quote-unquote typical day but i just want to harp on one thing you said earlier when you are offshore when you can get sleep, if you think you need it, you take it. I just think there's absolutely no, you don't add it up. You don't worry about what the numbers are. And if it adds up to eight or 10 or four or whatever it may be, if the helm is good and life is good and the opportunity to sleep is there and your eyelids are heavy, you crash. At least that's that's what I do because my God, you you need to have your faculties about you when you need them. Uh, and if you get those calm opportunities to rest up and get ready, you better jump on it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because uh, I, I think the longest stretch that I've, I've been uh, without sleep at sea, it was just over 48 hours. And, and your mind starts playing tricks on you. Oh, and, boy. And, yeah. 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 And, and you, you don't want to get to that state. If you, 
if you can't sleep i've i'm um uh, i've i've long been a uh if there's a point that uh that i know that i'm pushing this uh my my energy levels i definitely heave to and 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 go to sleep because it's only going to get worse from that point onwards anyway so <laughs> you might as well just do whatever storm tactic you're doing yep and 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 go get uh and go get some shut eye because it's it, in skydiving there was a saying like it's not the first mistake that kills you it's the second so and it, it all snowballs from there it's one yep. after the other i uh, agree fully did it one time 51 hours uh, I was hallucinating so bad. I thought the compass was a, a, a dancer from New Orleans doing a dance for me. And I thought <laughs> the numbers on the compass were letters, and I was trying to figure out what the words meant. It's it's not cool. Um, so back to your day. How 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 does John Martin's feed himself on a long offshore? Oh, very boring. You know the interesting part is I was often very semen-like with a bunch of cans of corned beef and and a bit, a bit of rice but uh every time i go out to sea i i end up a vegetarian on the other end and and then interaction with uh with society again makes me eat meat again and, mm -hmm. and all the other uh, but um it's very uh i ba it's very simple it's just basically white rice um beans uh, uh, what else i do i eat <laughs> beans you uh, take, do you I, take I, dried beans or canned beans uh canned beans okay. canned beans mm -hmm. i don't want to i don't want to use my water to uh, uh mm -hmm. and it's water and lpg and all the other uh, mm -hmm. and besides if i've had i've had lpg um, systems that failed on me before mm -hmm. so i know that i can just grab grab a can of beans and sure. and, and and carry along yeah but i i would and of course chocolate that's uh that's always a uh terrible thing to bring on the boat but yeah. it, chocolate's <laughs> it never important. it never well it never lasts more than a week so <laughs> 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 and it's my own fault yeah yeah uh, you, you gotta have something do you do you fish but, when you're underway do you troll do you drag a line no no not anymore i quit fishing in 2014 and it was at, right around when i was um doing the documentary stuff Okay, and you quit fishing uh, uh, because why? Uh, bec because exactly of the uh, for for do uh, to do the documentary, I uh, I did quite a bit of research, and oh, it's and it's it's shocking if if anybody listening to this uh, that was that's the part that I would like for them to uh, understand the most is that we as a species we've been absolutely exploiting the resources of the oceans far beyond its uh capacities for regeneration mm -hmm. and like even here in new zealand there's there's so much there uh, there's one major fisheries uh, the the fisheries uh company here that they don't abide to even the the regulations of the government has already fined them three times for trawling in in marine reserves I mean, does does it really take? Uh, I mean, three times they they've been caught uh, trawling in, and in they the place just don't where they care. shouldn't. What they pay the fine and no. keep going. Three times in within two years, yeah. and I I talk to my friends because like, if you were to take in 2010, for instance, uh, there's a uh, my boat is based in Tauranga, so mm -hmm. there's a little island called uh, Tuhua, which is just about 20 miles off that coast. And if you were to sail from there 10 years ago, from Tauranga to Tuhua, uh, you would be guaranteed to have dinner uh, on, uh, on your plate. And sure. probably, probably more. Right. Today, you can, you can sail 200 miles up the coast and not catch anything. It's already... Uh, it's the, everybody's aware that the fish is absolutely disappearing here. And, and fair enough, you go... There's a, there's a little bit of... Um, uh, technological advancement because they are now spotting schools with uh, airplanes and helicopters so then they just can guide the uh, they can just guide the, uh, the the trawlers to where the the schools are and the catch is done and so it's yeah. it's a little bit unfair <coughs> and i i just got to a point where i like i caught a kink a kingfish mm -hmm. 
That was in 2014. I caught a, caught a kingfish on a Sunday afternoon. I pulled the bugger out of the water and I made the mistake of looking him in the eye and hmm. and I just I just figured out what am I doing? It's like I didn't have any right to uh to be uh taking this little little bugger out of the water. So I put him back in and that was that's it. That was, <laughs> that was, that, so I I became a bit of a in um, and I must admit seafood is my favorite food, but um I just philosophically I can't do it anymore. It's uh, not a, not until I know there's abundance in there and it's, sure. It's a it's not a world of ours and and yeah, but I still love fish. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Even though it's it's uh, been it's been that long. Yeah. Yeah, what, what what you love, what what sounds good or smells good or even you know if you remember tastes good doesn't always jive with what you think is the good thing to do. Um but you already confessed when you get back on land for some period of time that you fall back into the meat eating cycle. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, correct. It's yeah. a hard thing to reconcile, isn't it? That's not me. I'm not calling you out. I'm saying I go through it to every, no. I know many people who go through this and I know very few people who are legitimate, full on vegetarians, especially once they learn that cheese is made with rennet and rennet comes from the digestive tract of cows and it does not come out when the cow's alive. So although you guys have anchor, you do make some fabulous vegetarian cheese down there. You guys see I'm, I'm pegging you with all the rest of the New Zealanders. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many how many vegetarians days I've ruined by explaining to them how cheese curdles and turns into cheese. But it's 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 a it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to get through. I was a pescatarian for years. Um, so I guess yep. sort of the, the, the exact opposite of what you're doing, where the only meat that I ate was seafood because I felt like I was doing something that was doing less ecological damage to the rest of the planet. I don't think there is any clean path. I think eating, eating less of it is good. And if, if you're living your life in a way where you eat less uh, of land or ocean-based meats, I think you are doing good for the planet. Wherever you are, you can eat just a little less and it'll be even better. That's all I got. That's the end of my philosophy on eating meat. <laughs> well, you, you got to you got to subject yourself into something, no matter which uh which philosophy you, you 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 grip on. Okay, we've now completely let's uh, hell politics and religion are next. Let's get all the all the uh, all the important points in there. Um, your trip that was from Panama to New Zealand took how long in its entirety? Oh boy. Um, uh, which one that's, uh, the one I did, uh, well on, on, um, so the one was, uh, in 2014 was, uh, Pelican was the name of the boat. Right. And on Pelican, I think it was a total... When did I leave? Uh, I left in June mm -hmm. and I arrived in October. That was okay. the, uh, so it was, and the other one I left in September uh, and I arrived in December, on December 1st. How, how far, how long apart were those trips when one of them was in 2014? When was the other? 2017. So three, three years apart, but the, uh, the catch is, uh, I, um, uh, there, this is a concept I've always had. I am not, uh, you have to define what, um, what a traveler is. And I personally am not really, uh, I don't travel. I roam because my, my life doesn't really change when I go to a new place. It's, uh, I still have the same, uh, uh, perceptions of existence. It's not a holiday. It's not a, I, I don't sail for pleasure. It's a, it's my, it's my lifestyle and it's the same here in New Zealand as it is in Sweden, as it is in the Caribbean. It's the same thing I do on a, on a daily basis. So when, when I, for instance, the, the little minx project, I, I sailed across the Atlantic. I got to St. Martin where I have plenty of friends and I left the boat there for the, uh, for the winter. And I came back to New Zealand to spend the summer sailing here. And, and then I went back to uh, say Martin pick up picked up the boat and continue on my uh, my journey because um, I, I figured that 
a winter in St. Martin was going to be a lot of trouble. <laughs> and and not good on the and not good on the wallet either. So uh and I must be honest that uh, a summer in New Zealand sailing is uh, is something one should never uh, never miss out on. It's a uh, it's a very special place. And I I some I contemplate this with a lot of my friends that uh, uh we're all yearning for distant shores but um at some point you can you can look at the famous sailors they end up uh i suppose americans uh lynn lynn and larry party mm -hmm. uh, uh elva simon which is a good friend of mine as well uh, and then uh, uh, webb childs so many so many uh big figures are have uh have uh, just made new zealand their uh, you know their their home base yeah it's a very sp it's a very special place for sailing Okay, we're up against another real quick break. We've got a lot more to talk about. We're going to try to squeeze it all in. You're listening to Seabird. We're talking today with John Martins. And we're going to go in a new direction when we come back from this break. You're listening to Seabird, stories from remarkable people. And now, here are your hosts, John Hurley and Mike McDowell. Welcome back to Seabird. I'm John Hurley, talking today with John Martins, who has joined us from Chile, New Zealand, where he's got a heater on. Do you have a fire burning? No, I'm, I'm being a little bit of a... I have a... Um, uh, it's like an air conditioner that pumps out a uh, heat. It's called yeah. a heat pump here. Yeah. I, I don't know yeah. if it's. We do have there. those. Yeah, we know heat pumps. Yeah, seems yeah. to be a little bit more ecologically uh, <laughs> uh, uh, friendly than than. But I do have I do have a, a little log burner, and okay. but but yeah, conscious uh, financially and and ecologically, the electric one is really the uh, is the way to go. Did it's, you ever have any uh, 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 heaters? on your boats i have just installed one of those cheap chine, uh, chinese um, copies of it webastos mm -hmm. and for this is for last winter and the interesting thing is that i installed it and i never used it because <laughs> uh, and but it's it's nice to have a you know a dry cabin and sure once it once you go through a pretty bad gale at anchorage here uh, you're you're sitting there for two or three days, and and you, it, it get it gets damp. Yeah, but you're uh, damp. I, you're I, cold, I was never... and the wind's blowing, and life sucks. But but interesting. I I was never brought up to um. I was never brought up to turn it on. I I don't <laughs> know if it's because of because uh, my boat um I'm on um I don't have a, an inboard engine. Uh, I it was the first. It's the first thing I do with every boat I buy for myself is to get rid of the engine, mm -hmm. and uh, and I build a well and I just have a little three horsepower um, um, outboard that mm -hmm. I that I use to push push it into a marina or whatever mm -hmm. sure. place I want to dock in. And yeah, uh, I just feel a bit bad of using diesel just because I'm being a little bit of a softy and I need a <laughs> bit of heat. So oh, I, I don't I, know, based on your stories, that softy is a word we're going to apply to you, but that's that's okay. Um, all right, we're going to go in a very different direction now. You ready? Are you, is your seatbelt buckled? I, I. <laughs> I like it. You could, <laughs> you could crew for me any day, sir. Um, and, and likewise, I would crew for you. Uh, so you, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times in, in passing, and it has very much on purpose for me, not been the subject of this podcast, as you mentioned, your paraplegic used to be a skydiver and a skydiving instructor, filmer, that, that's, both, all that's of right. the above. I used to do everything in skydiving. Okay. Um, it, 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 was, it was a profession uh, that you couldn't really choose. If you wanted to make a living off of it, you had to do everything you could to, to make ends meet. So, uh, so for, photography videos i used to teach um uh, first time jumpers uh i used to do tandem jumping i was a parachute rigger okay i i, I everything everything that's involved uh, i didn't fly airplanes but that <laughs> but i <laughs> everything from the jumping part you were involved with yeah. okay yeah. that's all right i know but a friend I, who's a pilot so the three of us we could be brilliant 
I'll sit there and just write about it. He'll fly the plane. You jump yeah. out. Life's good. Oh, uh, I can fix the plane as well. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I did that. I did that. Yeah. I was, uh, I was, an, I was an apprentice of a, a mechanic shop. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fabulous. Okay. Um, I really want to avoid the temptation to get mired in this, um, but it begs mm -hmm. asking, uh, what, can, you, can you briefly explain to me what happened in skydiving that left you without the use of your legs, which is not going to take uh, over the podcast because that's not the point of talking to you. It, it wasn't it wasn't anything overly dramatic, but it's uh, if you want to resume it, it was just a, a, ver a very hard landing, uh, an eventful jump. And out of I made almost 10,000 jumps and never broke a fingernail. But one really hard landing um, with a with a big passenger that that just basically went took wrong. It. it was just a bad. Yeah, it was everything that could go wrong went wrong on that jump. OK. And but by, you know, I. I started jumping in the in the in the late 90s and I watched uh, there was a little bit uh, it was it was still a bit rough today is is much better safer there's there's so many rules in place now and the equipment is so much better and unfortunately I did get to watch a lot of friends uh, 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 die I, I tell my friends from skydiving that once I made the transition onto sailing I I realized that how dangerous the sport is actually is because every year you know somebody that dies if right. not three or four three or four and in sailing I only know two and this is uh, this is um, 15 years of sailing sure. um, uh, uh, it's it's so much safer <laughs> <laughs> um, com com compared to skydiving but wow. yeah I, I feel very fortunate that I actually didn't die uh, and it, w it was a it was a it was a thought that I had when I was all mangled up on the uh, on the ground is like uh -huh. well if i uh, there was a promise that i made to my to myself right there if i if i live through this i'm i'm gonna go back to my boat and i'm gonna continue on sailing because uh sailing was already a huge part of my life sure um, at that point so I, I i think of myself as someone who lives a well-rounded life you sound to me like someone else who has lived and is living a well-rounded life. I would expect that most people on the planet, I'm not trying to sound corny here, I'm being dead serious, have at some point thought, gee, how would I react if X, Y, or Z happens? I don't think any of us could ever hope to react better and carry on better than how it at least outwardly appears that you have. So, so first, uh, I salute you for that, but there's, this is leading up to a question. Um, I, I told you in the beginning that, that you shouldn't expect this interview to go anywhere that you might expect it to go because that's just not what I do. I put your name in Google, um, and I'm really, really honestly curious what, what your brain does I, do you ever Google yourself? I, I never, ever, literally never Google myself. Um, see, here, the first headline that pops up, paraplegic yachty home after spiritual voyage. Um, second headline that pops up, the inspiring story of the first paraplegic yachtsman crossing solo the ocean. I, I didn't write that. They did. Um, I, I can keep going. You already know where this is going, I'm sure. What goes through your mind? Is is there a conflict? Is there a dialogue between the left side of your brain and the right side of your brain or whatever you might want, however you might want to cast that, where you might be, I don't like to use the word pride, but you, you might be proud of what you did. I mean, I think anyone who sails offshore and gets from one point to the other doesn't go insane, doesn't sink the boat or jump off voluntarily in the middle has accomplished something that I think is worthy of salute. Um, so are you happy to be recognized? Do you ever get frustrated or, or, or pissed off that the focus is on the wrong thing and that you're someone who's lost use of his legs and maybe therefore your journey is getting attention that it wouldn't have and that it should get attention for things that these people who are writing about you don't even delve into? Well, I, I just had a... A uh, million, uh, million thoughts going on through my head because of the philosophical implications of it. But let's see if we can start. 
there is no feelings that I should. Uh, I really experienced no feelings because I. It was never a project. It was never a goal. It was. I. I was stuck with a boat in. I wanted to sail. I wanted to have a good time. And there's 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 yet another story that this is in 2013. Let's start there. That's another story. 2013. I bought a little Beneteau 34 and and then I had the most amazing summer. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, the end of the summer there uh, cruising around the Caribbean. I stopped in Aruba. I, I used to work there as a skydiver in, uh, in 2010 and caught up with a bunch of friends. And you, you know, you know, the circuit there in the um, in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that was a. Uh, you're just floating in the ocean. Uh, where are you going next? Ah, going that way. Uh, ah, going that way. It doesn't matter. And then you meet somebody. Where are you going? Ah, I'm headed that way. Ah, I'll just I'll, I'll go with you as well. Let's go. <laughs> uh, and in separate boats. But, uh, but sure. in, uh, yeah, sometimes families and you just just tag along and it's a community and it, and it, it it works that way but if you want to if you want to get to the philosophical so i i never i never intended to uh get any recognition any titles any and i i don't even know if it's a title uh i i had to get my boat from panama to new zealand because mm -hmm. all my money was tied up into that bavaria and if i had sold it if I if I got lucky to sell it in Panama where it was, uh, I would have gotten a, a huge uh, financial loss. And but if I made it back to New Zealand, I would have broken even. So I figured, well, you know, I I can do this. I can get this boat back to New Zealand. Then I'll get right. there and I'll sell it and and I'll go back to square. Sure. And so th if anything, that was my uh, if I I feel proud of myself is of not having gone broke. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh uh no i um i find it um uh if you if anybody uh anybody works too hard for something uh, in regards of a if where is the value of it you have to for anything if if you're trying to become an olympian and the value of it is the recognition of everybody watching you you're setting yourself up to a huge um, existential dilemma later in life because you're going to try once and then you're going to try twice and you're never going to be satisfied with it. Sure. And you're probably going to, and it's a, it's an endless, it's a whole, there's, there's no end to it. Right. And so now I, I don't, in resume, I have no, no feelings. Do you ever feel that you've been burdened by being uh, awarded metaphorically a medal for for an Olympics that you never chose to join. You were just trying to get your boat home. Um, the the press, uh, specifically, or or yeah, uh, New Zealand press because that's where you're from. No, um, yeah. se seems to but have latched on to this and assigned you the title of first paraplegic to sail solo across the Pacific. Um, you didn't ask for the medal. Did they hang it around your neck anyway? And do you care? No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me at all. But uh, it's you have to take into account uh, what what the, what you want to do with your life. Um, I I feel from observing it, I see a lot of uh, creative individuals that once the once publicity gets to them, they they stop creating what they were creating and they stop doing what they they wanted to do. I but as in i i've had i've had i've had producers that approached me and they wanted to make a video uh, movie mm -hmm. documentary that type of style about my story but i um it's i i i feel a bit um and don't let my doom and gloom get to you because ha. um i i'm i'm not i'm not very uh, fond of the new generation of putting everything when I started sailing, the only concept I could get of what the what the ocean was going to be like was from reading the books. Right. And m my imagination would drive me wild. And and the waves that I imagined were way higher than what I actually <laughs> uh, <laughs> encountered out there. <laughs> so uh, it's but now um, I had I had a very sad 
um, event that happened about a month or so ago, uh, uh, the sister of a friend of mine uh, got in touch with me because she said, like, ah, oh, my, my, my brother told me to get in touch with you because we're about to sail across the Atlantic. And, and then immediately my mind was thinking, all right, uh, she's going to ask about, you know, the normal, the normal shop talk. But no, she wanted to find out about what was the best equipment to uh, do videos and what that um, everything that you know a YouTuber type of um, like you know what, buddy. There is you not enough electricity on the planet for you to listen to me railing on about YouTube channels and fucking drones. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm probably a much more cynical person than you are. You're smiling in every picture. I glare a lot, although I'm, I'm happy. I'm at peace at the in, on the inside. Those who know me know that's true. Um, this world that we inhabit, this sailing world, um, is full of people who in this social media generation have learned a distorted version of what the life is about um and that's part of what i get from what from what you were saying and i, I think it's a, a glaring omission in how we're raising the next generation of sailors and and this is exactly where is the value of sailing where do you tie it to so in this in this instance i think it's tied to whatever fame they can get and and one one positive I can see is that whenever they're uh, they're into some really big seas, at least they're going to be looking at their cameras and not behind them at the waves <laughs> that are just about to break on the, in their cockpit. Uh, okay, I've got one last question for you. Wait, for you, for John Martins, where is the value in sailing? The um, I can bring you back to the um, to. Um, the reason why I started sailing was because uh, my friend Brum, who runs a little um, uh, operation in um, in uh, Zephyr Hills, Florida. So Brum and I were sitting around a bonfire and we were talking about uh, where skydiving was going to take us. And and this is some, almost 20 years ago. So I was I, I wasn't really sure. And then he mentioned, you know, he's, he's Dutch. So he's like, oh, when I was a young boy in Rotterdam, I used to see the 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 ships go out to sea and the, the and then i said bram stop right there sailing boats you know we're living life at 200 kilometers an hour uh, 120 miles an hour and 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 you're talking about getting on a boat and doing 10 knots uh, i didn't even know speeds yeah, uh, but <laughs> clearly <laughs> and uh yeah and um but um i remember that night i went to my um i lived in a tent then so I'm sitting in my tent there and I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe I was a bit too uh, abrupt on rejecting the sailing idea because I had never been on a boat. And it took a few more months and then I ended up going with my girlfriend to uh, St. Augustine. And, uh, and then we took a course, like a weekend course there. And it was on a J24. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've ever sailed in one. I have not, but so I'm familiar with them. I lived in Annapolis. It's a little, it's a little sailing, it's a little racing boat, and the interior is com is completely empty. It's just a, it's just a hull. And the moment I stepped on that boat and I looked down the companionway, I saw the possibility. I said, because I've I've done a bit of carpentry work in my, uh, you know, my my younger years, and I I just looked inside as I could build a little cot on that side, and then I could build a little burner on the on the side <laughs> immediately, because I was. At that time, I was working between uh, Florida and New Jersey, so I kept um, uh, driving up and down the coast every summer and winter, a little snowbird. So I figured, you know, why why can't I do this on on a boat? It would be way more interesting. And and um, yeah, that's where it started. So the sailing is a lifestyle. Is is I have always been a roaming bird. I never really settled anywhere. Uh, New Zealand has been a, even though it's been a, my base for the past uh, fourteen years, uh, it's where the roads always end up. But um, I probably spent total of maybe three or four years in total here for the past fifteen years. Right. <laughs> but um, um, on land, that is, um, yeah, it's the lifestyle in itself. I don't see, 
I don't see myself doing anything else in my life at the at the present moment. But because I am in a wheelchair, and and this is something I knew from from the get go. Uh, one day I will have to come to land because my shoulders are going to give up. But as long as I as long as I can, m my body can take the beat. Um, I'm going to continue on sailing because it's it's the only it's the only lifestyle at the moment that will allow you to be who you actually are and allow as much freedom that Americans so much value and and certainly you're not going to find that on land it's it's impossible you you cannot be yourself on land not with the influence of governments and and the people around you as well society is very uh, very influential in what I believe what you that are. Uh, it was Moitessier who wrote about being at sea and it being the greatest country in the world by virtue of its yeah. rules and its forms of punishment. Couldn't agree more. Um, my friend, I cannot wait for our paths to cross out there. I hope there is a day in the not too distant future when I pull into an anchorage and park my boat as far away from the crowd as I can and that's where you are. When that happens, I will I will row some whiskey over and we'll tie one on. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for giving me uh, and our listeners so much of your time. Um, thank you for all you've done, for your honesty and, and for, for your philosophical bent on sailing. It's refreshing. Keep doing what you're doing and uh, hopefully we'll talk again someday. It was a pleasure. So thank long, you. John. All right. Bye-bye. Say for how long are you dreaming? Welcome